Hello and welcome to the Success Secret Podcast with Rosso Santalev. I am excited to introduce you to a series of conversations with some of the most successful and inspiring individuals from various industries. My aim is to dive into the stories behind their success and explore the knowledge, strategies, habits, mindsets, and wisdom that have propelled their success. Each episode of the Success Secret Podcast will feature a different guest who will share their unique journey, the challenges they faced, and the lessons they have learned along the way. I will also be covering topics from entrepreneurship and innovation to leadership and personal development. Whether you are an inspiring entrepreneur, a seasoned business professional, or just someone looking to improve your life, the Success Secret Podcast is for you. My goal is to bring you valuable insights and inspiration that will help you achieve your own success in business and life. So get ready to learn and be inspired. The Success Secret Podcast starts now. Joe, welcome to the Success Secret Podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. So first of all, tell us your story. Why did you start in real estate? Did you have experience in real estate or did someone teach you about that? Tell us how did you get into it? Yeah, basically, I had no experience in it. Long story short, uh, I, I had been in sales since I've been 18 in, in mostly mm-hmm. commission only sales. So when I came out of, of college, I ended up working for a firm that sold life insurance and annuities. And I was good at it. I was rookie of the year, the first year, underclassman, the second year, and the third year I left. And I left for a lot of reasons, but one of which was I couldn't control my product. And I wanted residual income. And the Mm -hmm. model that I was at there really didn't create residual income for me. So what the ultimate goal of entering real estate was, was because it was one of the few places where I saw the capability of getting residual income. In Mm -hmm. in 2011, it wasn't like it is today where you can have subscription-based programs, like like designing software and stuff. I, I have subscriptions to a lot of them. Then... It was basically your utilities and your rent were the only thing that you paid on a monthly basis consistently. And that was open the opportunity for me. Okay, I could be a landlord. Let's figure out how to do it. Um, And that was the goal. The goal was the getting to being what I thought a landlord was, not what it actually ended up being a reality, but what I thought it was. So I started with flips because I needed the capital and you need to have some cash to start being a landlord. Mm -hmm. And I did some flips to do that. First one was horrible. Second one more than made up for the mistakes of the first one. And then started that first rental company there. And um, pretty much have just been doing rentals or networking sales since 2017. It's basically as what the business evolved into. And I'm really happy with it. Awesome. So general question, in your opinion, if someone wants to start a business, uh, like what? Because we know there are multiple choices, I guess. So what? is the most important thing that you would recommend someone to go in or learn about to start? Is it real estate? Is it online businesses? Yeah. So to answer your question, regardless of the industry, what every single business owner needs to know how to do is they need to know how to sell. Um, It is the most fundamental and important aspect of any business's lifeblood. If you cannot sell, you do not have a business. It doesn't matter how good you make the donuts taste you have to be able to sell. And that's the fundamental fact of life. So any startup anywhere, that's step one, get that taken care of. Step two is take care of your product. But again, if you can't sell, it doesn't matter how good that product is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's true. If you if you don't sell, there's no revenue coming in. You are not 
growing the business, you are not expanding, you are not staying alive in the business world because there is a lot of competition. So speaking of sales, okay, so what is the most important thing to do or are there certain steps to ensure that you are success in selling whatever that you are selling? Yeah, so I look at sales as three fundamental components. The first one being getting people into your bakery. The second one, people giving you money for the donuts. And then the third one, making good donuts and people liking it. I know for me that I am best in that middle component where we're actually figuring out the prices and trade of money and contracts back and forth. Um, you know, For every business, that's different, but that middle section. And I also know for me, the part that I hate the most is the prospecting section, filling up my calendar, getting people in the door in the first place. So what I would recommend to anyone starting out who hasn't really dove into full-on sales is figure out what your personality jives with. Because some personalities are better with prospecting, some are better being engaged in in the sales arena itself, and some are better at following up post-sale and making sure that the product is correct. Each of us have a place in this world and no one is good at all of them. So my first step would be figure out what you're good at and then find someone who's good at one of the ones you don't want to do because you're not good at it because they're all equally important. But at the end of the day, you're not going to be good at one of them. And if you waste your time there, you're going to burn yourself out and you're going to just hate the process and you're going to regret doing this. It's one of these things that's better to bring on a commission-based or an equity-based partner to help you with that component of your life um, because it'll make your life better, it'll make your revenue better, and ultimately it makes your business better. Yeah, and it would be a waste of time if you are trying to do everything at once yourself because you, you, you could be very good at one, two, three things, but in everything, it's that, that's, that's just hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. So, so in sales, for example, the most important thing in business in sales because it brings in the revenue for the business or the company. So, like you mentioned, now you can uh, get people in. For example, whether they are employees or commission basic commission basis, or like you mentioned, also equity. So, how do you ensure that you are getting the, these people the right ones? Uh, well, I'm very experienced at judging people. I guess is the starting point. You have to be willing to pry into what someone's motivations are, I guess is, is a good starting point because the motivations will really drive what they're going to do. And if you can get someone who's invested in a commission-based structure rather than an hourly rate structure, that's a good indication. And for anyone who has their own business, they can create their own pay rates and their own pay system. I am one of these people who is very much against hourly rates. I believe in paying for the task. And then if you create your, your pay structure correctly, the people will do what they're going to get paid to do, and they will not do anything else. It's basically what ends up happening. So just pay for the activities that you want completed. So in my world, I'm paying for people filling up my calendar. And because we don't have new houses coming in, we have nothing else we can rent. So that's a very important thing. So you got to figure out what you want your people to do and then pay them accordingly, whether it be in the sales arena, whether it be, you know, a baker, do you keep using this donut example? You can pay them X amount of dollar per donut they make per, and then you can have a quality variant on it. So if you make a high quality donut, we're going to pay you two cents per donut. 
If it's a low quality donut, we're going to pay you one cent per donut. And then at the end of the day, at the end of the shift, we count out how many high quality, how many low quality, boom, this is how much money you made today. So as the, the bakery owner, I know that I'm more likely to get higher quality donuts because they're getting paid twice as much and they're going to figure out how to make a lot of them. So now I have exactly what I wanted out of my bakers, high quality, high volume donuts. Let's start selling some stuff. And like I said, that's as a business owner, I think how people have to approach paying your people, because then to answer your question, even if I pick the wrong person, it weeds itself out because they're, they're, they're going to make bad donuts and make them slowly. They're not going to stay or they're going to step their game up, but it, it normally takes care of itself. If your you know, pay system is correct. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting uh, things to look at. And for example, in the structure, because usually people, for example, get paid per, per hour or per week or per month. So if you if you are doing that, and basic, basically you are kind of talking about like you are kind of hiring some kind of freelancer or something like that. And it's basically it's kind of like a gig, right? It, it can be, but you also can be there forever. You know, at the end of the day, if they're good and you like them, you figure out how to make it stay. You make it worthwhile. So I might be paying my baker at the end of the day much more money than what the hourly rate should be. But that baker is now happier because he controls his income. He also can control his schedule, too, because if he makes enough and he's you know happy with that amount he can go home you know i i don't believe that you should force people to stay for x amount of hours i think that what's more important is the tasks that they get done mm. and like i said that that's what really drives it it gives them an incentive to want to be at your business rather than someone else and to me it's one of the best ways to create employee loyalty to a company yeah so so for example if you are going to be talking about sales should should there be should we bring in people who are experienced already have done that been there or some people who are new to this and train them inside and and get them developed i would i would say that the starting point is is that you need to know where you're at in your business so if you're at a spot where let me say this. You also need to know how important this task is going to be to your business. So if you're at a spot where this needs done now and it needs done correctly for the foreseeable future, I would spend the extra money and get someone who's experienced with it. But if it's kind of we're exploring this new element of our business, we're going to try to make this product line or something. I would want someone to be in there from the beginning to go through the process of this works and this doesn't work. And here's why, because ultimately that experience pays off in the long run. Uh, but like I said, it, it all depends upon where you're at in your business cycle and what the importance of, of this task is going to be. Mm, so from your experience, what do you see, let's say the, the roadblocks or the thing, the things that are preventing certain businesses or companies from let's say getting more sales is it the is it like you mentioned now is it the one who's selling or is it relative to the owner for example so that's there's a first off that could break a lot of ways you're not selling well but in my experience it typically comes down to people are not getting the prospecting results that they need that they're they're not getting enough people on their calendar successfully um, or they're not screened correctly. That That's my experience because no matter how bad you are in the middle part, um, if you had come up to the plate enough times, eventually you're going to get a couple of hits. That's just a fact of life. Um, 
So in, in the sales arena, that's normally how it falters. In the business overall arena, what normally ends up holding businesses back from growth is that they focus too much on the expense side of the ledger rather than the revenue side. Because if you're running your business correctly, every expense that you have should be directly correlated to a revenue coming in. And it should be positively correlated, meaning that for every dollar I spend out the door, I am getting more than a dollar in return. And every industry that's going to be different. So what a lot of people get tied up on that holds their businesses back is they're worried about cutting checks that are just too big in their minds. But the reality is, is that if it's a positively correlated expenditure, you're going to be getting a bigger check back. So you have to get over that fear of of spending money. And I think that that's ultimately how a lot of businesses stop their growth cycle is they start worrying too much about the expenditure side. Mm, In general, in sales, in order to make more revenue, in order to make a positive net profit for any business in the world. So you have to make sure that you are bringing in more than what than your costs, right? Mm-hmm. So what's your look on this? How should pricing be? How should a company or any business price their product, whether they are product or a service? So I view pricing completely independent of the cost it takes you to get there. Mm-hmm. Your pricing really should be relative to your competition. So If I know at the end of the day that I am making a product that is higher quality than my competition, my price should reflect that. And in my own personal business, um, like I said, they're all rentals. I intentionally make my prices higher than everyone else's. And I do that for two reasons. First, I want my clients to be just a higher quality. And typically, the more that they're expending on something the better tenants they end up being. And I mean, you think about it like this, when you go out to buy a car, what kind of car is going to be a higher quality, a Chevy or Cadillac? I mean, most people, you don't need to think about it. Well, that's why Cadillacs cost an extra 50 grand because you know, you're getting something better. And it also applies in industries that you have no idea what's going on with. Our brains just have that thing like, oh, it costs more. It should be better. I have no idea if it's better or not, but it costs more. I'm going to be willing to try it. So I always, no matter what the industry is, advise people to go for the highest quality possible, be the best quality on the market, and then be be the highest price. Because typically, um, now granted, some industries are different, but for most industries, that net expenditure to go from second highest to highest normally isn't that much relative to the rapid increase that you can increase your price by. So that's how I push it. Not to mention that's how a society as a whole gets better. Everyone starts selling better products. Um, and that's what I would recommend. So it doesn't matter how much it costs to get your product there. The pricing is strictly based upon your competition. And if you're the highest, um, you know people are going to expect better. Now, that being said, you have to be able to deliver on it. You have to have good follow-up. You have to have a good product or else you will eliminate yourself. Um, But if you can and you can deliver on all of it, it, it's certainly the way to go. That's a new perspective, actually, from you that you should be relevant to the marketplace and price it it higher. Because from my experience or from the other people that I have talked to, they are, for example, talking about it's not just 
about because like you mentioned when you are delivering high quality product or service it is completely relevant to you that you want to price it as high as you can actually mm-hmm. but when you know that for example your product is not that of a great quality so maybe it's within you that you cannot actually price it that high because you know it's not that competitive in regards to quality in regards to other competition so mm-hmm. how how will that work well, I mean, so if, if it's a continual product, like, like a service industry where this is what you're bringing to the table every day, um, my first answer would be increase your quality. Because if you're selling something that's subpar and you're doing it consistently, you're eventually going to end up with that type of employee and that type of customer. And it will, it will A, erode your profit line. Um, but it would create more headaches than it's worth. It, it, it is worth it in every capacity to have the best people around you. And the best people will normally want to be around other successful people and successful products. Mm-hmm. So it behooves all of us to try to create the best product. Now, that being said, there also is one-off situations where this is not our bread and butter. Um, this is just like, we're stuck with this and we just got to get rid of it. I treat that as, well, that's just kind of a, a cost of doing business. You know, you just get rid of it. And I have had things in my, like properties I've acquired, um, like in bulk sales, where I've, I've bought an entire landlord's portfolio and I didn't want all the houses, but I got like, I got 14. I don't really want 10 of them. The other four, we just basically threw away. And it was, it was all, I sold them just to get rid of them, get them out of my hair. I didn't want to deal with the taxes and the ongoing headaches that these inevitably would have produced. So I looked at it as getting paid to, for someone to take my garbage. And that's how I would look at it. If you have a, a one-off asset that you really don't want anymore, obviously you cannot build a business around that, it, 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 but it's a way to streamline inefficiency out of your company and keep effective, you know, what your bread and butter to make success is going without getting bottled down and weighed down by irrelevancy, essentially. So speaking of streamlining, how do how can a business entrepreneur or a, or a sales team streamline things like with, without having to actually keep things complicated in sales? So an easy way to stream, you got to make a system. I mean, ultimately streamlining is, is going to be a byproduct of a system. So you want to be able to, to funnel in your your prospects, you know, whether that be we're buying a list, whether that be we're going to create a way where people are clicking on us through one of the social media platforms, you want to be able to just attract a funnel people and then you filter them out accordingly. So I know whenever there's a lot of insurance companies that do this, they'll funnel in a bunch of people into their database and then they'll back check based upon the zip code they live in, whether or not they assume them to be wealthy or not. So they just funnel people out and then their salespeople only call what they presume to be the cream of the crop. Uh, and it's it, it's a very basic streamlined way to do it, but you're not calling people who are probably not going to be good clients anyway. And the more you can get the cream when you're you're going through prospecting, the better your sales process will be. And the more profitable everything will be at the end of the day. Yeah, it's 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 better it's better to stick with the basics because you will you won't get I don't know maybe lost with with lots of things going around things seeing this work this is not work you just simple things simple steps to do in order for you to get the sales. 
Yeah, that's important. Yes, you also need to break down your activities into what is actually profitable and not. Mm-hmm. Um, so many people just do whatever the, the latest shiny button is. Our phones train us for that. And it's really a bad way to live. You, you need to sit down and go, this is what's most profitable for my business to get done. And that's what I'm going to get done. Mm-hmm. And the rest of stuff that doesn't fall into that category needs to disappear. And if it's for some reason, something that can't disappear, it needs to figure out how to be outsourced so that it, it's not part of your life. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where I get back to the way I'm compensating the employees. You know, you, you keep them fu- strictly funneled in this profitable zone. And then the rest of that stuff actually has a way of never really building up. It, mm-hmm. It's very remarkable that way. Yeah, exactly. So, for example, in sales, you have certain things to do to make a profit, certain mm-hmm. practices to, to to make sure that is a success. But what are the things that are setbacks? Of sales teams, do you think things that are affecting them in a negative way that should avoid? Yeah, I mean, first off, avoid anything that that's not profitable. That's kind of what what, what I was saying there at the end. So, so you want to avoid that. I don't like when people are, are forced into trying to do it all. Um, as I said in the beginning, the, the three elements of sales. If most people are good at one of the three. But many places, especially smaller businesses, try to force their sales department to do both the prospecting and the negotiating slash sales side of it. And people are very rarely capable of doing both. So that's both are important. I, I'm not discounting that. But that's what I would say is, is sales teams get bottled down by trying to make everyone do too much rather than just specializing and saying, your prospecting camp you guys are sales and negotiation camp. And that's how you can streamline things very well. But that's really what holds people back, putting people in positions that their personality or motivations don't line up with. Yeah. So like in sales in general, to me, there there are a lot of people talking about, for example, the pushy salesperson who keeps knocking on doors and they want to force people to buy. And there is the salesman who's, like pulling people pulls people in with the stories with the culture of the business and company that they actually will say yes without having to push the sale to them so mm-hmm. what do you think is for example better which is the best way or if there is some different way do you think that you operate in the best way is to create a connection with your client Um, so pushy sales is a deterrent to that because most people don't want to create a relationship with someone who's trying to only use them because that's how being a pushy salesman inevitably comes across. So being able to create a connection or relationship with the individual in a reasonable way is, is the best way to go about it. So whether it be through connecting over a story, whether it be being able to relate with them. Um, you know, I mean, veteran salespeople who've been doing the same industry or same company for a while, they basically know the categories that their clients are going to be in. Like in my world, my clients typically end up being people who had no idea how credit worked when they were younger or recently divorced individuals. Like that's that's who I sell to. That's That's my niche. And obviously I can relate to all of them. I've gone through enough clients that I, I know the three biggest problems in their life. And I know how I fix them. And that's really how, how I would go about it. Identify people 
with what their problem is and, and be you know be real about it don't try to sugarcoat it just like life is not awesome because you have this problem right now so is my other 40 tenants you know no one likes going through divorce and getting kicked out of their house mm-hmm. no one but at the end of the day the reality is you need to live somewhere do you want to be somewhere with a landlord who's going to micromanage you or do you want to have your own house where as long as you pay on time you never see me again and i don't care you paint your daughter's room whatever it's a very simple thing. Now at the beginning, it's like, but you're charging so much more, but at the end of it, they can't wait to sign. Mm-hmm. So who's better off in that situation? The salesman who made the connection that was able to relate to them in their situation right now and where it was going or the pushy salesperson um, who's ultimately going to have to sell on price because they're not making connections. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's my ultimate answer. Try to create you know, a reasonable connection, a reasonable relationship that does come with experience. It's certainly easier with experience, but we all know how to make friends. I mean, at the end of the day, we all know how to make relationships. It's just practicing those skills and having the courage to say things when they pop in your head. Mm. So you mentioned the word niche there. So how important do you think focusing on a certain uh, spot in the marketplace in any business in general? Oh, it's incredibly vital because at the end of the day, if you're trying to sell to everyone, you'll end up selling to no one. You need to pick the sweet spot. And, you know, for every industry, the size of that sweet spot is going to be different, whether it's 15%, 7%, whichever. But you need to find a specific target that you could walk into a room and someone says, what are your average three clients? What do they all have in common? And you got to be able to write out five characteristics that define those three. And then you have an appropriate niche. You know, like I said, I'm dealing with people who are recently going through divorce. They basically all are traumatized. They have no idea what direction their lives going in. And they want to be, they, they want some form of stability in their life. Okay. I can make a profile for that and sell a product to something that that's specific. It can't be, well, they like gaming. I think that they like playing, you know, RPGs. Um, <laughs> you know, like that's nothing. It's got to be, no, they like the vast open sandbox. They like being able to build spells, having melee attacks like that. No, now we got a profile. Now we can build something and you have to be able to get into that detail in whatever your industry is. You know, at the end of the day, you can see it easily, easily in commercials, you know, Subaru sells to people with feelings. Ford sells to people who move stuff and get stuff done. It's 100% obvious. You can tell by the commercials. One is hamsters. Oh, that's Kia who has the hamsters driving it. Uh, The other one's driving around on rainbows. Ford's hauling boats around. So they know who they're going for. They're not fighting. And you can see it very clearly. So I would say to that, because it makes your life easier, both as a salesperson, as the business owner, to know who your client is, because then you can really start relating to people you can go this is what it's at now does that mean the initial profile you make of what you think your client's going to be will be that same way in three years maybe maybe not because you might think like oh it would be a perfect fit for him but this category i didn't even know existed is really going good with my product well then pivot and sell it i have no problem pivoting to a different group you're selling to because you're still making money i do have problems with trying to pivot your entire operations because you weren't able to sell your product in the first place. Mm. But that's a 
digression, I suppose. Yeah, but but it's actually it's an awesome awesome example that you mentioned. For example, in between Subaru and uh, and Ford, for example, it's it's uh, very distinguished. And and for example, if we talk about higher priced cars, for example, like the Ferraris. They, you never see advertisement for the, from these guys. So they are mm. completely in a different world of, I think, maybe referral marketing or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, so yeah. They, it, yeah, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. It, everyone's better off for it, you know. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with being the, the low-end car as long as it's still a high-quality car that you're not yeah. going to deal with problems. The important thing is getting you from A to Z or whatever it is that you want to do. <laughs> exactly. Job, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what do you think uh, most the most important tools or resources uh, any business can use to improve their sales the process or their sales team, do you think? Probably the ability to have communication and confidence. I, I think that those are, are two things that become critically important when you look at any business culture to be able to successfully grow and thrive. You have to have confidence in the people around you that they're going to do what they say they're going to do. And you have to be able to effectively communicate good, bad, and ugly um, across the board to your internal um, communications and to your clients as well. Um, so that that's certainly part of it. Um, the other part that I would recommend that's along these lines is don't be afraid to put some of the, the angst, liability, each industry is going to have a different word for it, um, on your clients. You know, at the end of the day, they're giving you more than money. You know, they're, 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 they're getting something in return. They're not just giving you money and not expecting anything. So they can also give you, like in my case, they're responsible for the maintenance of the house. Most landlords get destroyed by that. And there's nothing wrong with expecting your clients to bring something to the table. You know, if you have a very specific way that you want them to fill out your website to make the ordering and shipping process more streamlined and they're doing it wrong, call them out on it. Like there's nothing wrong with that. You shouldn't bend yourself over to make exceptions for clients just because they're giving you a form of revenue. You want to be able to make each client's transaction as simple or as similar as possible to the other ones. And that will really help you streamline your sales and business overall. Yeah, exactly. So Joe, where can people get in touch with you if they want to learn more about you and your business? Yeah, sure. So if you're trying to reach out to me, anything in the world of real estate, my email is 412 and the word homes at gmail.com that is set up specifically for this purpose. Um, you can also reach out to me on my other my two podcasts. The first one's called father and Joe, where we talk about relationships a lot and salespeople really do benefit from it. Starting with the relationship within ourselves, how to make ourselves more confident in ourselves. And eventually it spills over into having confidence and relationships with those around us. And then as you can tell, I'm in the set for my local football flavor. That's with all the NFL stuff around me here. And in local football flavor, we talk with local fans to find out what's going on with their teams because everyone has had that experience of a national pundit saying something about their team and it being wrong. So we talk to local fans to find out what that stuff is, help us get more information, helps you with fantasy football, helps you with gambling, all that important stuff that people love about the NFL. Awesome, awesome. So, Joe, thank you for being here and sharing these tips and information about business and sales. Thank you for very much. Perfect. Thank you for having me. 
thank you for listening to this episode of Success Grid. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you found value in the show, rate and leave a review on iTunes. For more resources, visit successgrid.net. Until next time.